Second John chapter three, and I'll read the first fifteen verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Morning, Chapel Street. And to our friends online and those who will listen later on the podcast. And before we get going in the word, word this morning, I just want to thank those for coming yesterday to the evangelism training. Um, I really, really, genuinely was encouraged uh, that we thought it was important to meet and um, to go through or to kind of respond to the thing that we're charged with to share the gospel. So thank you for coming. Thank you so much for those that work behind the scenes, not least the, and I'm going to say ladies, I know it sounds sexist, but the ladies that did the food and did all the clearing up as well. There's a lot to it. Um, but I need to apologize because um, I was meant to bring a greeting to us yesterday from Warren, and I totally forgot. I'm really sorry about that, but I'll do that now. <laughs> Warren uh, sends his greetings to us. And he was just very sorry that he couldn't be with us in person, but wished that, uh, or prayed that we would indeed be richly blessed. Well, as we come before the Lord to hear his word, let's just bow our heads for a moment and pray, bring our thoughts and our hearts to him as his word is read and spoken about. Our gracious God, and our most loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we come now and bow the knee, desiring to hear your words spoken. I pray, Lord, that as we 
consider new birth in Christ. You would work in our hearts to quicken us to enjoy perhaps again or to be enjoying for the first time the reality of new birth, Lord. Father, would it be that you would charge us inwardly to share the gospel so much that we can, like Peter, not keep? How can we keep from sharing this message? For it is indeed better to serve man, to serve God and not man. Lord, would you please do that work in us now as we consider your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, I thought it might be good just to take another break, if that's okay, from Hebrews. As you can tell, we're in John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus, well known to us. Uh, but I thought we'd take a break from Hebrews to try and bookend what Vody Bockham started for us last week. For those that weren't here, he wasn't here in person, uh, but he was certainly here, certainly here in spirit, up on the projector. And we were reminded of the power of the gospel, the power um, that saves, the power that brings true wisdom, and that the wisdom of the world is simply foolishness. And through human wisdom, people never came to truly know God. It's only by the... Um, advent and the light as it were that shines from the gospel from the creator that people come to know god and that's the power that there is to save yesterday we considered why we shouldn't be ashamed of that we considered that we were indeed indebted to share the gospel because it was for them not just for us I'm indebted to Greeks, to barbarians, to the wise, to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to in Rome. Paul might well have said, Armadale. That's where we are, and some have traveled from other places. But that's where we're placed, and we're indebted to the people that are around us. And so we shouldn't be ashamed. It saves people. It reveals the righteousness of God. It calls people to repentance. And so I thought it might be good to bookend that with this lovely story of Nicodemus and to really understand that dead people cannot worship God, but born-again people can. And that to move from one to the other or to be moved, transported from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son is a work of God that happens through the gospel in accordance with his sovereign will. So keep that in your minds. Dead people cannot worship God through the law, through observing, through ignoring, through rebellion. They cannot worship God. Born again people can truly worship God. So our story starts with um, Nicodemus. We don't know an awful lot about him other than that he's a Pharisee. In case you're unaware of Pharisees, there are first century sects in Judaism. There are a lot of sects. Judaism is very broken and, and splintered with different groups and confusing uh, theology and emphases on different things. And the Pharisees' emphasis is on the Torah, or the Torah, as you say here, the law, the first five books of the Bible. And their emphasis within that is very much the law part of it. <laughs> the law within the law. The law within the books of life. 
And so much is their emphasis on the law that they believed that if somehow they could truly abide by the law, they would please God and so would have some kind of eternal life in the day of resurrection, which they believed in and another sect didn't. I noticed, though, that the Pharisees' emphasis was never really on the atonement, although they were often the high priests. In fact, we learn that Caiaphas, a Pharisee, was the high priest that year. And before that, by the way, it was his father-in-law. Sounds like a little bit of nepotism, perhaps, going on there. They were involved in the rituals and the practices of the sacrificial model that God gave in the Torah. But they were more concerned with the law because a law can be observed. It can't be kept, but it's something I can do. If you give me a law, I can obey it or I can disobey it. If you don't give me a law, I've got nothing. And so I think for the Pharisees, that was their big deal. We know that they had a kind of self-righteous approach to the law. The idea that they could make themselves righteous by observing the law. And they like to show that off in front of others. And as Christians, by the way, we need to be very careful that we don't fall into that trap. Especially in front of people that don't know Christ. Because that's often the criticism of Christians. And so I imagine that uh, Nicodemus was no different. We don't know much about him really other than this passage and another one in John. He obviously is intrigued about Jesus and decides to come and chat to him, no doubt with questions in his heart. You can hear from the text just back there in John 3. There's a man, the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I want you to notice two things. One is he notices something about Jesus because there are signs. Greek word is simion, literally means signs. <laughs> Points to something. Not that people noticed what it was that they pointed to, that Jesus had power and authority, i.e. he was probably God. But they noticed the miracles. But he also came by night in the darkness under the cover of night. One wonders why. Perhaps it was to make sure that no one else saw. Perhaps it was to make sure that the other Pharisees who were dead against Jesus didn't see him going. Because let's be honest, if the Pharisees thought that they were the true Israel, that they had the real faith, they would have to ask the question, wouldn't they? Why is Jesus not one of us? Why is he not a Pharisee? I mean, surely the Messiah is going to come through our people. That's to say the Pharisees in the Jewish um, ethnic people. Because we observe the law. So anyway, he comes at night. And he has questions. And I love the way the text runs. He doesn't get to ask it. Whatever was on his mind, he was obviously really intrigued with the Lord. He never gets to ask his question. You can almost see it in the text. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Come from God. Great place to start. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
drawing breath perhaps to ask the question, but the Lord Jesus just interjects straight away, doesn't he? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This concept of being born again seems completely alien to Nicodemus. And it so often happens in the book of John, the Lord speaks and the people hear and they just interpret what he says in the physical, material way. And he's the son of God. He's only going to speak of spiritual things, isn't he? I guess he's going to speak of material things as well, but he's imparting teaching. This is spiritual stuff. But Nicodemus makes no exception. How can a man be born when he's old? What are you talking about? Born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's focusing on the physical. What the Lord is communicating is that there's a spiritual reality to faith. And maybe he's questioning in a rhetorical sense, Nicodemus, hey, you come here, you're a Pharisee, you're interested in the law. You think that observing the law is going to somehow save you? But I'm telling you something else has to happen. It's not enough to observe a law. Are you ever going to please God? Are you going to fulfill the law yourself? We know it fulfills the law. So Nicodemus needs to kind of get a bit of a, as they say in Scotland, a, a slap. Right. A bit of a waking up here. It takes him a while, but he does wake up. But something else has to happen. Now, the word here for born again is literally born again. That's what it means to actually be birthed. And the Greek word is ganao. That's where we get the word genesis. It sounds like something created. And there's a new creation concept here. Paul uses that language elsewhere. The Apostle Peter uses that language in his first epistle. It's this concept then about rebirth. But it's important if we are going to be able to stand and live, that we depart to some extent and ultimately to the fullest extent from our old self, our first birth, our fleshly birth, because we were born in sin. Read Romans 5 from Adam. We're all born in, in the likeness of Adam. Lord Jesus isn't. He's the second Adam, born free from sin, but we're all born in that. And so this sinful, helpless, rotten, rotting body, who I am, cannot just walk into heaven and be accepted. Even if I observe the law, something new must happen. A new genesis, regenerated, regeneration, a new person. That's spiritual birth. Just if you've got your Bibles with me, just jump back to John chapter 1, if you will. John 1, and we know this all very well, in the beginning was, God, that was the Word, and the Word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We know all of this. Well, jump down to verse 11. Well, we go from 9, actually. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was 
made through him. This light was the creator. Yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own. Who was his own? The Jews. Yeah, it says it. To his own people. But they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of man, the flesh but of God Jesus came people received him and they were born again it's not physical it's spiritual if you are in Christ today you are a new creation you're still living in the old one which aches right anybody here not aching when they get out of bed some of the younger ones not yet but it will happen guarantee it's weighed down with sin. And there's a battle going on. I think we spoke about that some time ago um, in another message. But in Christ, you're born again. And it's a good thing because that new person is pure and blameless, declared righteous and can enter the kingdom of God. Dear old Nicodemus just doesn't seem to get it. New Genesis, new birth. We're talking physical here. No, we're not talking physical. We'll jump back to uh, John three again. Jesus answered, verse five: "Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is just flesh, Nicodemus, and that which is born of the spirit, it's spirit." Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is of everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, still perhaps confused, still focusing on the world, says, how can this be? What are you talking about? How can these things be? And then comes the phenomenal rebuke. Remember again who he is. He's a Pharisee. He loves the Torah. He loves the law, the rituals. He thinks he's got it together, perhaps. And Jesus says this to him. Are you teacher of Israel? Do you know the Bible? That's what he's saying. And yet you do not understand these things you a teacher of Israel you claim to know the Bible like Vody Bokken was talking about those men that were wise and thought that they knew things but in their wisdom even the wisdom that they were trying to glean from the word they came out with works the law the observance of the law you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things he's giving them a real I hope now, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven 
except he who descended from heaven, referring to himself, the son of man. And then he gives them a bit of a lesson, doesn't he? That's the numbers. He gives them a bit of an Old Testament lesson. This is a teacher of the law. The Lord Jesus is saying, okay, let's go and just check out one small part in Numbers 21. He says, and Moses, as Moses lifted up the servant in the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, remember that story of Moses in the wilderness, lifting up the serpent, and the people looked to him and were healed? Well, that's referring to me. See, you've been reading the word. You've been trying to understand the law and abide by it, and yet you've missed the central message because the law is a set of rules, and it's given by God but not so that you will be able to obey it because you can't, because you haven't been born again, because you're still dead in your old transgressions and sins. So what did you think of the law? Did you think it was all about the law? Or did you think about who brought the law and what the law says? And at a fundamental level, the law says two things. One, you cannot abide by this, can you? You can't do this. You can't fulfill this. Two, how great must God be? Look at this law. This is a picture of holiness. This is a picture of what the divine is like. Never praise the law, but praise the God of the law. We should look at it and say, wow, how great is God. Nicodemus has given a, a real jolt into that. And the teacher gets a teaching even though he doesn't understand yet what it means to be born again. He links Moses directly with himself and this serpent being lifted up with the Son of Man being lifted up on a cross. And all that may look to Christ may receive him and be born again. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get the gospel. And there it ends, that little dialogue with Nicodemus. But actually, we don't hear any more from Nicodemus at this point, but the dialogue actually doesn't end. We often separate the bit that comes next, but actually it's just continuing. The Lord is just continuing to speak through at John 3.15. So what comes next? John 3. It's not rocket science, guys. John 3. Probably the most well-known Bible in all of history, right? At least in our era. John 3.16. Let's have a quick look at that. Because the Lord's compounding this idea. If you, if you believe in him, you're going to have eternal life. And he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I'm going to read that again. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that they might through him be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God so loved the world. I remember a time when um, 
I was in prep school, probably about the age of 10, nine. And, uh, you know, one of those schools that, back in those days, in the, in the 60s and, and 70s, where they still practiced at the end of the year carol service and they had the nativity scene and you know, kids got up and played the clarinet and juggled and all that sort of stuff. And then they had a nativity uh, scene. And I remember being called to play a very important part in this. Um, I was the angel, Gabriel, which, as far as I could work out, just consisted of me wearing a, a, a sheet from the bed and a halo that was fashioned out of a coat hanger and a bit of tinsel. And I didn't really have much of a speaking part. But I do remember thinking, what on earth is all this? There's a sheep, there's a boy dressed as a sheep and a goat and a donkey. There's this lady called Mary and there's a baby. I mean, do we want a baby in the middle? It just didn't make any sense to me. And the one thing I remember as clear as the one song I remember was the final song. I remember going home and singing it. It was called All You Need Is Love. Remember that song? The Beatles? All you need is love. love. Thank you. <laughs> All you need. I thought, wow, okay, there's something about this message that's love. And I went home singing that. That was quite a good message. All you need is love. Mankind could just love one another. Everything would be great because that's all you need. Take a look around you. I read in the, in the press this morning, there's another shooting in America. Another one. Sudan. War. Ukraine. Russia. Cultures fighting against cultures, even in our country. The secular world fighting against us. Satan prowling around like a lion, waiting to devour his prey, eagerly ready to, to jump and get his prey, constantly attacking us. Do you see any peace? I don't see enough love because we are by nature dead in our transgressions and sins. We're not born again. All you need is love. What a nice sentiment. Well, actually, what you need is God's love. All you need is God's love. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus. Just the Pharisees, not just the rest of Israel, not even the Romans, right? He loved the world, even Armadale, you, me. And that evidence of his love initially is he sends his son, his only son. Hasn't got another one. The Trinity is just three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sends his son, his only son. That's the gift. Gives. His love are give. In order that, or so that, whosoever believes in him whosoever does it say whosoever fulfills the law is a good person tries hard but whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life Nicodemus you want to be born again you need to believe you need to believe in me because I'm that son that was sent a little another nutshell of the gospel, isn't it? God sent his son. They called him Jesus. 
He didn't stop there. He went to the cross. He fulfilled the law. Amen? He fulfilled it. The thing that Nicodemus wanted to do as a Pharisee, we're on our way, guys. We're getting good at this law-keeping stuff. Quick, get rid of the mold. Stop stealing, right? Never fulfilled it. Jesus came and fulfilled it. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to, to give my life as a ransom for many, for whosoever believed. But God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. But in order that the world might be saved, might be born again through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only son that was given, the only son that was sent. There is no other. We had the pleasure over the last few months of my father-in-law's life, Barry, to have him here, to have him fellowshipping with us. And Barry was a churchman, wasn't a believer. And he went to the Prezi Church for uh, most of his life. And in his last months, by God's great providence and sovereignty, brought him here to fellowship at some level with us, to be in the family and uh, he became unwell, as you know, more unwell, I should say, and eventually had to go to hospital. And uh, one of the things that perplexed myself and others, Sandy especially, is that Barry was terrified of condemnation. He was terrified of this picture that the church gives, which is true, of wrath, of judgment. It was quite an amazing conversation that took place between Sandy and Barry, the Lord really used that time very powerfully. We were very encouraged. But Sandy sought to express the gospel and help him to understand that there is in Christ new birth, that there is in Christ freedom from sin, and that there is in Christ mercy because of grace. And so there's peace. And so I wasn't there, but Sandy tells me his entire demeanor changed. And he said, that does sound good. That does sound good. He never got the message right until that point. That does sound good. He'd been in church all his life, hearing the gospel, heard about the judgment, amen, but never heard about the forgiveness. That does sound good. See, the gospel is good news. We heard that yesterday, right? It is good news. I pray that we don't miss that opportunity to share it, even with someone on their deathbed. He was dead in a few weeks. We know not where he is, but our prayer at the time was that he would indeed be born again, believe in Christ, to put his faith in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord finishes that discourse there with Nicodemus. He never gets to ask his question. <laughs> He's given the truth and he asks other questions rightly in line with that truth.
But his story isn't over. If you've got your Bible with you, but if you have, please turn to John 19. I'll read from verse 38, because Nicodemus's life is about to change. John chapter 19, verse 38. John writes for us, after these things, that's referring to the crucifixion and the death of Christ that has just taken place. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, went to Pilate and asked that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Listen, Nicodemus also who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. He even got down the, the weight that he took. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom. Let's pause there for a second. What do we notice now about Nicodemus? Well, firstly, he's not afraid, is he? He's not afraid to be identified as someone who at least loves Jesus, has compassion on Jesus, cares for Jesus. He's just perhaps witnessed the crucifixion himself and saw him die and thought perhaps, wow, the mission's over. What really happened? This man who talked to me about being born again, about having spiritual rebirth and telling me that if I was born again, I would be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's died. And so he buddies up with Joseph somehow. The Lord ordained that and designed that. Not only does he help with the body, he brings myrrh and aloes. Myrrh is a, a kind of perfume. And aloes are used to embalm and, and keep bodies intact to a degree. And it doesn't take much to go back to the nativity seeing does it the magi coming in what do they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh what a picture now nicodemus is bringing nicodemus has witnessed the gospel hasn't he we never witnessed it we read about it we believe it what makes it alive for us nicodemus sees it the light bulb must have gone on and desires to love Jesus and cares about the body. Not only that, he binds it, the body of Christ, with linen. Now, I don't want to get too graphic, but just pause and think and reflect for a moment what the body was like. Beaten beyond recognition, scourged, a sword through the side, up under the ribs into the heart. Holes in the hands and the feet. This is not a, a pretty scene, is it? Yet they bind it. Beautiful picture of caring for the body and wrapping it. No doubt in white linen. Grave clothes, which we know in a little while, are going to be taken off and laid down by Christ himself. There's a picture here of love, of honouring Verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid 
Jesus there. Joseph and Nicodemus laid the body of Christ in the tomb. What a job. What a job. Do you think Nicodemus was born again? I do. He came out in the daytime. He witnessed all that was happening. The Pharisees were there, the Jews, the Jewish leaders. They were what? They were deriding him. They were spitting at him. They were mocking him. He saved others. Let him save himself. Let's see if Elijah comes. Right? Oh dear, this guy's dying. This isn't real great. He didn't do much wrong. The thief on the cross got it. Nicodemus was no longer afraid. He didn't come at night. He came in the day. He had respect and love and honor for his savior. I think he's totally born again because that's our stance, isn't it? When we come in here, do you have respect for Christ? Do you fear him is what I'm saying? Do you love him? Do you want to honor him? Do you want to praise him? Do you want to pray to him? Do you want to hear his word? He laid him in the tomb. Wonder what was going on in their minds and their hearts. You know what I think was happening here? I think I'll just call this worship. <laughs> He's worshiping his saviour, his dead saviour. He didn't know that Jesus was about to raise from the dead, right? Even though the Lord said so. Worshiping God for this man. Because dead people cannot worship God. They're in rebellion. They can do anything but worship God. They can only create more enmity with God. And people who are born again can worship God. That's you. That's me. We can worship God because we, by God's grace, understood what the Lord Jesus meant when he said God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Because this picture of the cross has become a reality for us. So we know that the Pharisee couldn't fulfill the law, but the Lord Jesus did fulfill the law. The one who was above the law came under the law, was judged in accordance with the law, not for his sin, he didn't have any, but for our sin. And on the third day, his grave clothes were cast to one side. He smelt of myrrh. Isn't that amazing? He smelt of myrrh and aloes. And he got up and he lived and he lives now. He never died again. Dead people cannot worship God through the law or any way. Born again people self-sacrificially through obedience, through love, and worship God. It's a spiritual act. And part of that is evangelizing. Part of worshiping God is evangelizing. There's more to it, I know. Why is evangelizing worshiping God? Well, it's simply telling everyone else about him, isn't it? About who he is, what he's done. That's why John 3.16 is the most famous verse. Because that's what people did with it. God so loved the world. 
He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son in order that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to close with this passage for us. I want you to think about your worship of Christ. Maybe you're still struggling with being good, <laughs> obeying the law. Maybe that's a big issue for you. You know, as Christians, we can go back to that. I'm not saying we don't need to obey the law. Don't misunderstand me. We do. Absolutely, we do. We need to honor Christ with that because he died for it. Just reflect for a moment on your life, the things you do, the things you should do and don't do, things you do and shouldn't do. And consider your spiritual act of worship. Paul writes this in Romans 12. Having told the, the, the hearers and, and us, if we read Romans prior to this, of the problem with sin, the gospel revealing the righteousness of God and the power of God to save. The Gentiles can't get out of this because the law is written on their hearts, their conscience, either excusing or accusing them. Amazing picture in Romans 3, 20, how Jesus fulfilled the law. The righteousness has come apart from the law. Faith in Jesus Christ because he fulfilled it because God put his son forward as a propitiation for sin at the right time. He passed over sins for, for a time and then he did this so he might be just and the justifier of the one who's faith in Christ Jesus. I want to talk about the Jews not getting there through the law but through faith. Goes on to talk about us, our part in Romans 6, dying to sin, presenting our bodies to Christ properly in righteousness. And seven, the great turmoil. Why do I do the thing I shouldn't do? Right? Why do I do not do the thing I should do? Oh, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God who, I'm going to paraphrase now, causes me to be born again. And on and on and on of the mercies of God. And it says this, Romans 12, I appeal to, appeal to you this morning and myself. Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, right, you've now heard of the mercies of God. Christ died for your sin. He, you you shouldn't have got that. I shouldn't have got that. Right? That's basically what uh, Verdi Bochum said last week. It's unfair that we should be saved. In view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Listen, which is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't. Be transformed by renewing of your mind because you're born again. Don't live in the old dead body. That's just rebellion against God. Celebrate the fact that you can live in the new. This is your spiritual act of worship, friends. And part of that's evangelizing. Amen. Are you going to evangelize? I bet, I bet Nicodemus did. Let's pray. Again, our beloved Father, oh, we bring blessings to your name. We know, Lord, that you bless us in Christ, that you prepared us 
just before the foundation of the world for good works that we couldn't do in our dead bodies, but you made us alive together with Christ. By faith we were saved, by faith we were born again, by faith we will live because of your grace. Oh Lord, I pray that uh, we would take all that we've gathered up in our minds and our hearts this weekend and today and use it for your glory. Lord, would you cause us to reflect on how our worship goes? Would we have laid your son in the tomb? <laughs> would you cause us to reflect on how well we conduct ourselves for your glory. And Lord, when we see that opportunity, would we take it? And when we don't see that opportunity, would we make it for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.